Well, please turn with me now in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read briefly this morning from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Paul's words directed to his disciple and fellow servant Titus will provide us with a little context for our sermon passage, which is over in Proverbs chapter 3. So in a moment, we'll turn to Proverbs 3. But first, let's look together at Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. We ourselves were one also once. Let me try again. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Amen. Paul speaks to Titus a very timely word for any pastor in any congregation. It seems seasonably and timely for us in our day and age. Paul ends by warning him to avoid dissensions and disputes which he labels as contentious and unprofitable and useless. Do not allow, Pastor Titus, your schedule to fill up with these arguments and debates that are the hallmark of social media and not very useful for anyone's faith. In like manner, he begins his comments to Titus in this passage by telling him, to the contrary, be humble before all, be peaceable, be gentle, speak evil of no one, be devoted to good works. So we see the picture. The church of Jesus Christ should be devoted to being gentle, loving, peaceable, humble, not to disputing and argumenting. In between, Paul, in the center of this passage, gives us the reason why. Because that's how God treats us. Because this is a divine quality. God is gracious toward us, not requiring us to perform in order to be saved, but graciously giving us in Christ that righteousness which Christ has performed. Through faith and His Spirit, we are justified by grace. In like manner, my friends, 
let us be gracious toward one another. Turn with me back to Proverbs chapter 3. Our sermon this morning is from Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 and read down through verse 26. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 26. Solomon has been introducing his son to the topic of wisdom. He has been carefully defining his terms and laying out, as it were, the intellectual foundation for what is wisdom. What does wisdom do to us? And now, and what we should do with wisdom. Here in this chapter, he's been looking at that piece, what is it doing to us? We've already looked at verses 1 through 12. Now we take up part 2, as it were. What does wisdom do with us? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 13 through 26. Here again, the word of the Lord. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. And all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not let let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in all your way and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down. And your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Amen and amen. There were two sisters some 2,000 years ago who were expecting a special guest. A celebrity, a friend of theirs who had become very popular and important in the society. And they were getting ready for his coming. One of them got ready by filling her schedule. She cleaned the house, she cleaned the clothes, she cleaned the dishes, she went to the store, she got all the groceries, she came home, she prepared the food. She was going to make this visit perfect. He was going to have the best dinner party he had ever had. She was preoccupied, indeed drowning, in all of her plans and expectations for this event. By contrast, her sister took the opposite approach. She cleared her schedule. She canceled her appointments. She rescheduled her meetings. She moved everything around. She got all of her duties and chores out of the way so that when her friend and celebrity arrived, she could sit at his feet undistracted and unbusy. When the first sister discovered this disparity in experience, she went to the visitor and said, Jesus, tell my sister Mary to help me. 
And Jesus gave a most unexpected, borderline unfair response. He said, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the better portion and I will not take it away from her. Dear saints, I know you are very, very busy. And there are many, many things you must do. But there is, in fact, only one thing that you need. And it is to listen to God. It is to pay attention to your Father in heaven and His Son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, wisdom will make you happy. Wisdom will give you a good life. This is the good news for us this morning in this text. Wisdom makes you happy. So my friends, pay attention to God. Pay careful attention to God. Now allow me to develop this idea from our text beginning in verse 13. Solomon lays out the main point of this text very clearly and succinctly in verse 13. That's because it's Proverbs, and verse 13 is a proverb. So in a very simple and succinct way, he says to us, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. This is the main point of our passage. If you are a human being who discovers wisdom or who gains or adds to your self-understanding, you will be happy. Notice, the pursuit of happiness makes no one happy. Thomas Jefferson was wrong. And I delight to say that again and again and again, as you may have noticed. The pursuit of happiness makes no one happy. What is more, the acquisition of goods, of wealth, of well-being makes no one happy. Adding to ourselves the riches and treasures of this earth will not make you happy. Having thriving relationships and all of the love and respect and devotion of your most treasured persons... This, too, is not what makes you happy. No, Solomon speaks to his son, and through him, us, and says very clearly, very succinctly, very irrefutably, this is the truth of God. Happiness is found in wisdom. My friends, if you want to be happy, you must first be wise. Wisdom, when discovered, makes a man happy. Understanding, when gained and acquired, makes a woman happy. This is the parable, the simple truth. Now, of course, it is pregnant, it is laden, heavy with meaning and understanding, because we have to define those two terms, don't we? It is one thing to simply assert, as Solomon has done and I after him, if you want to be happy, you have to be wise. Okay, well, what does happy mean? What does wise mean? This is what Solomon then proceeds to do in all the subsequent verses. Verses 14 through 26 are Solomon's exposition on the two words happy and wisdom so that his son might understand what wisdom is that he might be happy. For our purposes, allow me to apply verse 13 briefly and succinctly. My friends, stop 
trying to find happiness in your comforts, in your conveniences, in your being right, in other people. Find happiness in wisdom. Having laid that foundation, let us now define our terms. In verses 14 and 15, Solomon teaches his son that the man is happy when he finds wisdom because wisdom enriches life. Her proceeds are better than the profits of silver. Her gain more than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. This sounds actually like a romantic love song or poem, doesn't it? This sounds like something you should hand to your spouse tomorrow. Please don't do that. It sounds like something you would find in a Hallmark card. You are better than silver, better than gold, more precious than rubies. Nothing I desire compares with you. In fact, there's a praise song that was written, and they took out it and put in he because they were referring to God. Does anyone other than me know that song? I'm the only evangelical here. It says, he says in three parts, better than silver, better than gold, better than rubies. In this way, Solomon points his son to the acquisition of wealth and prosperity. We might say in our culture, better than a hoard of jewelry, better than a swelling 401k, better than all the stocks and bonds amassed together than you could have imagined. Greater than all the houses on the Cape. Wisdom enriches life beyond the riches of life. Nothing you yourself can imagine desiring, be it fine threads, be it great jewelry, be it big beautiful houses, be it many wonderful cars, whatever enriching features of life you can dream up and imagine... It is less than the riches that are supplied by wisdom. Now, once again, Solomon comes short of telling us what the alternative riches are. He is simply asserting to his son, if you want to be happy, get wisdom. Why? Because wisdom will enrich your life. It will add to your life something that is better than wealth. Wealth can buy you things, but it cannot make you happy. We can simply summarize these verses in the great philosophical insights of the late American culture. More money, more problems. This is the reality that is so often experienced. Those who dream of the acquisition of stuff find that stuff is actually acquiring them. We who are given to the idolatry of consumption find that it is we who are being consumed. It is we who are being used up. Solomon says to his son, do not be devoted to the getting and getting and getting, lest the getting is wisdom. For she and she alone is of supreme value. But secondly, he says that she she enriches his life by lengthening it. This is the richness that wisdom brings to his life. His son can enrich his life by lengthening his life with wisdom. Verses 16 through 18, Solomon says, Length of days is in her right hand, riches and honor in her left. Her ways are pleasantness, her paths are peace. 
She contributes to life all that makes that life good and worth living. She is, in summary, a tree of life for all who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Solomon says to his son, you will be happy when you hold wisdom. You will be happy when wisdom is the mark of your ways and your approach to life. Because your life will be lengthened. Your life will be enriched with honor, pleasantness, peace. There was the meme that has gone around Facebook that says, Studies show that if you do not eat bacon, you will live four years longer than those who do. Four miserable, baconless years. You see, it is a matter of perspective. Solomon says to his son, there is a lengthening and an enriching of life that comes when you have wisdom in your life. But notice that he has begun now to introduce us to who wisdom is. Verse 18, she is a tree of life. I don't know about you, but as a reader of the scriptures, I find that like a bomb going off in my reading. We're trotting along, and he he gives us the little proverb that makes perfect sense. If you want to be happy, get wisdom. Wisdom makes people happy. He goes on and he says it makes them happy because it enriches their life far beyond what gold and silver and rubies could do. And it's like, okay, I'm getting it. And then he says, because wisdom is a tree of life. And immediately my brain goes, Genesis, Revelation. Because they're the only other places where the words tree of life are used. Talk about a random use of the phrase tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life. You see that tree that was planted in the Garden of Eden by which Adam and Eve could know that there was life that went on perpetually, indeed eternally, when they were rooted in the life of God. Even more so, Solomon sets before his son that foretaste of what John will see in Revelation. A tree of life whose roots sink into a river of life, whose leaves bring forth the healing of the nations, whose fruit is eternal life. Let us say it this way. How does wisdom enrich our lives? It makes them eternal. Wisdom is the leap from walking well in this life of which there is limited and proximal value. Wisdom is the leap to having life that lasts and lasts and lasts forever. In other words, the tree of life, and indeed wisdom, is the will of God for our salvation. The person and work of Jesus Christ. How is it that wisdom enriches our life? It brings us into fellowship with the living God, that we might live in Him as He lives in us. How is it that the ways of of wisdom are pleasantness? Because our God is pleasant. And when He speaks to us, the words are pleasant. His paths are one of peace. In Christ, he comes to us and he makes peace with us. In his hands are righteousness and honor. In his hands are riches and honor. Indeed, wisdom here is not so much foreshadowing the specific person of Jesus, 
but the effects of his coming. The richness of the fellowship with the Father that we enjoy thanks to Jesus Christ. Happy is the one who finds wisdom. That is, who finds out that God wants them saved and has provided for such salvation in Christ. Happy is the one who has learned the word of God for their salvation and walks and lives in it. Into this little package, which Solomon sets before us, he has given us this hope This surprising and unexpected happiness. Why is it that the profits of silver, gold, and rubies are insufficient? Because when you die, which percentage of your silver, gold, and rubies can you take with you? Zero. When you die, what can you take with you with Christ? Indeed, he takes all of you. So sweet is that shorter catechism by which it says, when we perish, our souls are immediately made perfect in glory, and our bodies still united to Christ do rest in their graves. That line is so striking. Our bodies still united to Christ. He leaves none of us. He receives all of us. This is the tree of life, the fountain of everlasting life. Wisdom, the will of God for our salvation. But then secondly, Solomon turns his son, not only to this extraordinary hope of eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ, but he turns him to the creation itself. In verses 19 and 20, he asserts a second fact. First, happy is the man who finds wisdom, who knows the will of God and does the will of God. Thus discovering a richness to life that is eternal and everlasting. But secondly, he says to his son, the Lord himself by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. You see, not only is wisdom the instrument by which we are made happy, that is brought into the blessings of God, but wisdom is the instrument by which God first blessed us by making the world. By wisdom, he founded the earth. He established the heavens. He broke up the depths, that is bringing up dry land, and he caused the clouds to drop down dew, that is bringing forth the vegetation. These four descriptions in these two verses point us back to days 1 through 3 in Genesis 1. But interestingly enough, in verse 19, it says that the Lord executed this act of creation by his wisdom, which is not what it says in Genesis 1. It says that he did it by his word, by the word of his power. Once again, Solomon is pointing his son to the truth of Jesus Christ, who Paul says, in him we move and breathe and have our being. Of whom, Paul says, all things were made through him and for him and by him. Without him, nothing was made. That's actually John, isn't it? Not Paul. This is the teaching of Scripture. That the wisdom of God, which is Christ, is our Savior and the maker of our eternal life, our happiness. But he was also the maker of our original life, our fallen life in the creation. He is the foundation 
of the world that was made and is being remade in Him. Jesus is our Maker and our Savior. And if we know Him and the will of God for ourselves in Him, we have happiness and a right understanding of this life. Have you guys ever spent time staring at stars? And I don't mean the stars that you can see on the streets of Cambridge. Those are satellites and airplanes. No, I mean when the world is so dark that the sky is aglow with starlight. Have you ever seen the heavens stretched out above you in beauty and wisdom? Do you know what it looks like? Silver and diamonds. Have you ever seen the world at its edge and horizon with the glow of the sun rising or setting? And it's radiant in its colors rising up on the bottom edge of the cloud. And what does it look like? Rubies and gold. Have you ever seen the world stretched out before you? And the towering peaks of the mountains and the trees rising high. And we stare at this wisdom How many of you have studied deep sea fishes? Do you know what is stunning about a lot of them? They have color. Incredible color. Why would there be animals that live in the midnight black of the deepest ocean covered in color? Because God likes color. And he gets to stare at them every day. It is his world that we are living in. And by his wisdom, by his will, he founded it. One of my favorite one is the archer fish. This is a fish that likes to get a mouthful of water and shoot insects off branches with a stream of water it spits out in order to eat the insect. Why? Can't they just eat them? Why target practice? Because God thought it was cool. Because he thought it was beautiful. There is an expression of the mind and the will of God in the creation around us. There is a revelation of his wisdom and his knowledge in the world around us. I woke up this morning and my sidewalk was white. And I thought, do you not know how unprepared for this sermon I am? I don't have time to shovel snow. And you know what Jesus did? He sent me two neighbors who shoveled all the snow that I could have otherwise been stuck shoveling. He's like, you're fine. This will be fine. He knows how to make the world. He knows how to run the world. And I find my happiness when I trust Him. When I let Him be God and cease trying to be God myself. When I divorce myself from my anxiety and my stress. And believe in the wisdom of God revealed in the Word and in His Son, Jesus Christ. So to this end, Solomon begins to apply these truths. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Study them. Pay careful attention to them. Look at the creation and rejoice in the wisdom of God that you there see. Look at the Scriptures And keep the wisdom and discretion that is there revealed to you. My friends, be students of the word and of the world. 
that you might know the mind and heart of God. They will be life to your soul, grace to your neck. You will walk safely and your foot will not stumble. Solomon tells his son that he will enjoy a happiness that keeps him going. A sustaining, strengthening kind of happiness. What is it that brings us back to the drudgery of work? Not finding it a drudgery. Finding it a joy. A joy to contend with the messiness of our relationships. A joy to lay down our lives in service and sacrifice to others. What is the grace that adorns our neck, the life and the vitality that pulses in our souls, that produces a steady, faithful plodding in our walking before God? What is it that strengthens the legs to keep going? As an endurance cyclist, I have learned that there is one great secret to endurance sports. No one knows it until you attempt an endurance sport. Nutrition. It does not matter how much strength you have. It does not matter how much will you have. How much mental toughness you have. If you do not have sugar in your bloodstream, you are not going to perform. You need nutrition. This is the truth of us. If we are to walk steady and sturdy through life, maintaining obedience to the will of God, then we are going to need grace around our neck and life within our soul, which can only be found from keeping our eyes fixed on the will and work and word of God. Let them not depart from your eyes. If we begin to stare at our problems, we will run out of strength. Do you recall Peter walking on the waves? There is embedded in the story that important line. He looked down and saw the waves and began to sink. My friends, we become students of our problems. We become students of our sorrows. We become students of our sin. And we begin to sink. And we begin to grow tired and weary. The steady, enduring stride that gets us safely to glory is found in keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. On knowing the will of God for us. That He loves us, cares for us, and intends to save us. Happy is the man who knows this wisdom. Who knows God's will. But then lastly... Solomon reverses the pattern. Not only if we are wise, that is, knowing God and His will for our salvation, will we keep going, will we have the strength and the endurance to persist, but even just as importantly, verses 25 through 26, we will have the ability to lie down. Notice the refrain in verse 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. There is a rest that settles in the soul as well as the strength. Going back to the metaphor of endurance sports, do you know when it is that you grow stronger? Did you know that lifting weights and exercising doesn't make you stronger, it makes you weaker? Sleeping makes you stronger. It is when you sleep that your muscles repair and rebuild and grow. 
If you don't sleep, no amount of exercise will help you. Just as we need the nutrition that is God's love and grace to keep us going, so we need rest, a Sabbath day on which to lie down and not be afraid. A Sabbath day on which to lie down and let our sleep be sweet. We need nightly rest as well, where we put away the terrors of the day and are no longer troubled by the wicked, but we place ourselves in the hollow of our Father's hand, and the Lord is our confidence, keeping our feet from being caught. He is our confidence, what gives us rest, the ability to close our eyes, the ability to clear our mind and to settle our heart. There's often been around me, in my experience, terrors in the night. I struggled with it as a child. Some of my children have struggled with it too. I've passed on to them the lessons that I have learned. Rule number one, when you are in the dark of night and your mind is full of fear, talk to your Heavenly Father. If He won't let you sleep, then don't let Him sleep either. Have a conversation. Tell your father how you're feeling. Tell him what you're afraid of. He doesn't sleep anyway, Psalm 121. When you're lying in the middle of the night and your heart is full of fear and you're talking to your father and it doesn't seem to help, add to it psalms. Sing psalms. I counsel you not to sing them out loud, lest your parents speak to you and correct you and tell you to be quiet. But sing them out loud inside your heart, your head. Bring forth the confidence of the scriptures. Meditate on this wisdom, the will of God for you and for your life. He will be your confidence. Draw near to your heavenly Father. He will most certainly draw near to you. Let Him be your confidence. So in this way, my friends, when Solomon says to his son, here is a truth for you, a truth you need in your life, wisdom will make you happy. We can understand his meaning at last. What does he mean by happy? He means able to work and able to rest. Because in this paradigm, verses 21 and 22 and 23, he is able to work, able to move, able to strive, able to endure. Verses 24, 25, and 26, he is able to rest. We see the outflow of the creation ordinance that by wisdom was established in verses 19 and 20. The wisdom of God that was expressed in beautiful mountains, vast seas, colorful fish in the hearts of the ocean are further expressed in the pattern work and rest. Work and rest. In this we see the wisdom of God. His will For our well-being. The wisdom that we need. Is to know. His grace keeps us going. And his grace makes us lie down. His grace allows us to strive with strength. And his grace lets us sleep. By knowing God. We know ourselves. By knowing God. We know our world. This is wisdom. It is wisdom to know God and to know His will for us. And that is what makes us happy. Happiness is the ability to go through life working and resting. Working 
and resting according to the rhythm that God has given us in creation. But that balance, that careful stride, is rooted in wisdom that is our knowing of God and His will for us. So my friends, learn this. Cultivate this. Let this be our lesson today. My friends, wisdom makes you happy. Pay attention to God. Know Him and His will for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom that Solomon has given to his son, that we might be students and children beneath this teaching, that through your spirit this day we might listen carefully, love deeply, and obey faithfully that which we have been told. Father, we thank you for the grace you have given us, that in Jesus Christ you have revealed to us your will for our salvation. That you have shown us how you love us and how you will seek our good. Our Father, forgive us that we do not depend on you more. That we do not trust you entirely. Forgive us for striving endlessly and quitting despairingly. Forgive us for not maintaining that original ordinance to work in the strength of your love, to rest in the grace of your peace. And Father, let us this week maintain this rhythm looking to the eternity in which all work will be swallowed up in rest forever. O God, set these things before our eyes today. Let them not depart from our eyes, that we might know the wisdom of God, which is Christ, and live in His peace. We pray in His name. Amen.